that to there if I can. That's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> I put the clip that goes over my ears through my chain. As I'm pulling it up, I'm choking myself with the cross. It's not what I want to do. Well, good morning. You seem very excited, Sam. We're sporting the same haircut. Yeah. Summertime. Is it the same reasoning, though? I'm a summer tires on. <laughs> I do this because it's cheap, easy, and it hides the grenade. Or the baldness. You know, Tracy and I were laughing the other night. My beard is not going gray so much as it's starting to go blonde and red. Don't know how that works. But good to have you here with us this morning. Glad to have you here in person. And for those of you who are watching online as well, um, great to have you with us. You know, it's been an interesting time for us. We're looking at Don't Be Fooled. Looking at biblical foolery, moments in the Bible where we either fool ourselves, thinking we know what it says, or somebody tries to fool God. And it's kind of interesting. We think in ourselves today, because I've talked to a few people this week about this, and a lot of people tend to think, well, in Christian circles, we can't really fool God because, you know, read the Bible. You've got to remember, what's happening today is history for tomorrow. They'll look back at us and say, well, why didn't you just do this? We didn't know that was an option at the time. We didn't know we could do that. See, sometimes it's easy to look back at people and think, well, they didn't know what was going on. As we talked about last week, we said sometimes you look back in history and we think, well, the people back then weren't that intelligent because they had all these different beliefs or they were doing this or that. And we're not that much better today, if you remember. Back in history, they would buy an object because it believed, they believed it had some sort of significance of power because it belonged to somebody. Today, we have people buying bathwater of a girl off Twitch. <laughs> we haven't really gotten any smarter. We're also looking at today, I want to look at one of the areas of biblical foolery where um, we miss the mark in quite a few ways. It's a, a passage where I've heard it used in different sermons for different topics, and I've seen papers written to use it to try to deface the church. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 5, starting at verses 1 to 11. Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And for those of you who are watching this, if you are comfortable with it, please feel free to share this video with others, or if you're at home and you want to share it, feel free to do that as well. But Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? 
You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she had died, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, a lot of times when we look at this passage, when people look at this passage, they put the focus on money. And I understand where they're coming from. You look at this passage and that's one of the key components to what's going on, isn't it? Money. You know, we've all probably heard the old saying, money is the root of all evil. Money is only the root of all evil because of greed. But we look at this, people have, we've written, people have written sermons about it, how this is all about tithing. This is the importance of tithing in the church. Now, as a Wesleyan pastor, I'm required to do one sermon a year, at least, talking about tithing. We're done that. That was it. <laughs> this passage isn't about tithing. This passage isn't even about money, really. Yes, money plays a key part to it, but it's only a small part in it. I'll give you an example that doesn't relate to money so we can try to get our heads around it a little better, because sometimes people have a hard time getting their head around money. It's, it's not an insult to anybody. It's once you mention that word, some people, there's been studies, they trail off thinking about what they're going to buy or what they would do if they had it or why don't I have it or they panic over it. People panic over money just almost as much as speaking in public. Great. This is the same sort of story as when somebody tells you not to do a certain action. And we've seen that over the last year. We've seen the people say, you should not do X. And then they're caught themselves doing it. And everybody says, oh, see, see, I guess it's okay to do whatever it was. No. No, it was never about that issue. It was about playing by the same set of rules and having a code of conduct. It was entirely about the idea of what you say one should do, you yourself should do. Same with this. Some people take this passage and quite honestly, they twist it and say, this is how the church controls the people. Doing the 
research for this passage, you would be surprised the number of articles people have written to try to deface the church using this, saying, see, 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 this is the church controlling people by fear. And they will literally go and quote the last verse we read, where it says in verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And they said, well, they're doing this to make them afraid because people who are afraid are easier to control. 100% true. That's why terrorism works. Terrorism works because all I have to do is make you afraid to go outside or live your normal life. I have to make you afraid of every single person in the crowd. Make you second guess who, not, not everybody, which one of us in this room is the one most likely to shoot you with an earth gun. You're also on that list. 100% honest. While you're pointing at me, they would all turn and you'd be pop, pop, we're done. Watch terrorism works. You don't have to make them completely afraid of everybody. You've got to make them afraid of everybody because they're afraid of that one who's in the crowd. Fear controls people. That's why we've literally used this in the past. Countries have used this in combat. Britain made Germany afraid to attack by making cardboard, canvas, and wood planes and tanks. They literally hired people to stand inside the wooden and cardboard tanks and carry them around and make tank noises. A plane up there is not going to hear you making gear noises, but they did it. They also literally put just flat plywood that was cut out to look like an airplane, and it made Germany afraid to go there because they have too many planes. We don't have a way to deal with that. Never mind you that none of them were going to fly. None of them had anything. The United States, on Pearl Harbor, when they went to bomb it, they literally stuck blackened broomsticks out of airplanes to make it look like they had guns. They had to remove the guns to make it that they could actually take off. Bombs were too heavy. Culture in the past, they would put on war paint to make you afraid. It controlled the battle. If you're afraid, you're not really wanting to fight the guy who makes you afraid, are you? So people point at this passage and say, see, this is the church saying you need to give what you have, what you own, to them so they can control you. That's what this is. No. That's biblical foolery. You're fooling yourself about what the Bible says. That's also being uneducated. Last week I talked about a perfect way to educate oneself in the Bible. If you're saying, well, it's hard for me to read the Bible. Okay. Audible gives you one free book when you sign up. That book is yours for life. You can cancel your subscription to Audible. You can still listen to that book whenever you want. If you've got a cell phone or a tablet or a computer, you can literally download it right to one of those devices or all of them. Make your one book Bible. Listen to the Bible as it goes through. I do it at home. Simple trick. I also have an Audible account that I bought because... I like getting history books and listening to them while I'm driving. Naomi loves it. Tracy's like, you're weird. <laughs> but this is not about money. This is not about controlling people. This is not about fear. See, those are all ways that we deflect from what's actually going on, and that's ways we fool ourselves. This is actually about somebody being brazen enough to think they can fool God. That's literally all this is. This is somebody being brazen enough to think, I can trick God. 
Now, some people read that and they go, well, his wife shouldn't have died. She had nothing to do with it. Except where it says in multiple translations that with full consent and knowledge of his wife, he did it. It does not say that she tried to talk him out of it. It does not say that she encouraged him to do it. It just says she knew it was going on and she let it happen. That makes you an accessory after the fact. Congratulations. It's the same as if you know your friends are about to rob a bank or have robbed a bank and you don't call, in, call it in. You can be charged with guilty after the fact. Guilty by association after the fact. You knew what was going on and you did nothing. See, in this moment here, Ananias sold his property. He had every right to do it. It was his. People say, well, you know, you're supposed to give 10% of what you make to the church or whatever. Okay, great, 100%. The Bible does talk about a certain percentage you should give to the church. It also says give with a willing heart. And I'll ask you this very simple question. And I asked this to a friend this week who said, well, the Bible says that you should give 10% to the church. Do you regularly give 10% of everything you make to the church, or do you occasionally hold it back for yourself? Occasionally hold it back for myself. Then you need to be very cautious about this passage, because look what happened to Ananias. If you believe that you should always give 100% that is mandatory, and you're holding something back, aren't you doing the same as him? And his response was, I see where you're going, and I really hope God doesn't kill me. That's not coming. That's not what it's about. See, Ananias took what was his, he sold it, and rather than come out and say, this is the money I give to the church, I have kept this for myself, as it was mine, I have a right to do that, is that okay? Peter would have been like, hey, cool, great, thanks. Put it in the plate. Instead he said, here's everything I got. No, it's not. He just lied. And he didn't lie to Peter. He lied to God. And we do this in our own world today. If you remember last week I said I'm going to look at what it says in the passage and I'm going to compare it to the world today. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I can get away with it because you know Jesus forgives? Or God forgives? Let me explain something to you. Yes, God forgives. But God also knows when you're doing it on purpose. Which means now you're trying to cheat the system. You're trying to outsmart God. And let me ask you a very simple question. How many hairs are on your head? Some of us, this is going to be a lower number than others. <laughs> but can any of you give me a number of how many hairs are on your head right now? God can tell you the exact number and how many are going to fall out before you go to sleep tonight. And how many you're going to have tomorrow and when you're going to be completely bald. God knew you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. It says he knows the innermost thoughts of your heart, the innermost thoughts of your mind. Yeah. Uh-oh. If you've ever sat there and been in a conversation with somebody and you're being pleasant and cordial to them, but in the back of your mind it's going, ah, screaming because you just want to throttle them, God knows that. Even though everybody else in the room might not know, God knows that. You can't hide that from God. See how that works? You've probably also heard the analogy of the sentence that nobody knows you better than yourself. Wrong. God knows you better than you know yourself. Because you can lie and try to trick yourself. If you try to do that with God, please don't. 
You know, you've heard people say, well, I know you better than you know yourself. No. The person you know as yourself is not known to anybody else. Everybody who views you views you differently and knows a different you, but still the same you. Confusing, paradoxical, we're not going to get into it. We still do this today. We still try to trick God. We still try to fool God, and we miss what's going on here. Ananias falls dead because what he did. Then his wife walks up. She has every chance to walk away from it. She has every chance to say, no, some of it my husband kept, or some of it we kept. This is not the full amount. To be honest and to be truthful. And instead she goes, oh yeah, that's everything. Doesn't work that way. Again, she tries to trick God. And again, there's still people who read that line and say, well, she shouldn't have died because she had nothing to do with it. Wrong. See, this whole passage is nothing about money. Money is just part of what's going on. It's a prop in the play. The issue is about trying to fool God. We do it in our day-to-day lives. Well, I didn't say that I did this when I did it. God, right? You don't understand? Or if I put a lot of flowery words in there, God will feel like I really want it, right? And then he'll give it to me. Or if I do these good things over here, God will see that I'm a good person and he'll forget the bad that I've done and, and, and he'll give me more rewards. Or people take the other angle of this and they go, if I give more to the church, every, literally give everything I have, God will just let me in. No. No to all that. God doesn't look at your life and see that you've done a million bad things and you've done three good things and say, well, those count, cancel out about this many on this. You've still got, you know, 27,000 more things to do. He goes, congratulations, you're doing good. But you turn to him and say, God, forgive me of my sins. He goes, what sins? What are you talking about? They're gone. Yeah, he did them in the past. Who cares? But when you try to trick God, and you try to put fancy words in, no. There's even a passage in the Bible that talks about this, where a man gets up and he says, at least I'm not like this sinner over here and he boasts. And God goes, no. That guy there is honest. See, God is calling us to be an honest people. He's calling us to walk with him and try to be as honest as possible. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. How do I know this? Raise your hand if you're God. Nobody. When he's down there looking at his hand, hoping the answer's there. Did you write Bible verses on your hand? No. This is not a test you can cheat on. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to make horrible mistakes. But there's two ways to deal with it. Nanus and Sapphire's story gives us an, an item or a moment that we don't really even look at the story. You have a chance at forgiveness. This is an angle though I've never seen anywhere else, but I want you to think about this as we draw it to a close. What does it say about a husband and wife? The two shall become one. Ananias tries to trick God 
the wife walks in the room and asks the same question. And again, she... Apparently, either the lights agree with me or God is telling me to hurry up. Asked the same, he's asked the same question and again does the same thing. There was that moment of a chance at forgiveness where God says, hey, here it is. And God doesn't ask you a question because he doesn't know the answer. People will try to tell you that. God doesn't know, oh, God asks, well, why did you do this? Because he doesn't know. No. God knows exactly what happened and why it happened. He's asking you, why did you do this? He's asking you to step forward and come clean. He's asking you to be honest. Have you ever done it with your kids? You sit there and you look at them and go, who did this? And they're all just kind of like, no, we'll go, me. He puts his hand right up and goes, it was me. <laughs> and it's like, why did you do that? I'm sorry. He'll look at Tracy and he goes, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> and that's when she goes, I love you too. And she forgets for a moment. I'm like, whoa, stay on track. He did something good. We gotta. But it's the way of the world. Just because we've done something wrong in the past does not mean we are incapable of forgiveness or incapable of receiving it. And just because we know that we did something wrong doesn't mean that we have to stay silent. God wants you, when the question is raised, to be truthful. He doesn't want you to try to fool him because it's not going to work. If you've ever managed to get one up on God, congratulations, that wasn't God. This whole story has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with controlling people through fear, because the same question is pretty well asked the different people throughout the Bible, one of them being Elijah. Why are you here? And the power of God is revealed, and he's asked again, why are you here? This is about being honest with God. This is about being accountable for what you've done. Is this what you've received? This is what I'm giving to the church. Okay, that's fine. Is this what you received? Yeah, 100% all of it. Kind of like when you catch the kid, did you take the cookies out of the cookie jar and the cheek is out like this? No! <laughs> be honest with God. Don't be fooled by thinking because we're human, we have all this creation, we're smarter. The devil did that. How'd that turn out for you? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day and the fact that, yes, we can make horrible mistakes, we can do foolish things, we can act foolishly. Some of us, God, like myself, we excel at it. But God, you forgive us when we ask it. God, you put it on our hearts, the question of why did you do this? What was it you did? Is this really what you should do? And God, you try to guide us. God, help us to focus on you, to follow you, to seek you, to be honest with you, and to walk in your light. Be with us each and every day. We pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Brad, for the message. Am I on here? No. No, it's not. How about now? Yep. Okay. Thanks, Brad, for the message. That was a good message. So many people sometimes read the Bible and they get mixed up on things that you think that you know and you just read it all the wrong way. And while the pastor was preaching, I was thinking, you know, so many times we hear how we can get to heaven other than through the blood of Jesus. And it's not possible. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We have to come through the blood of Jesus. He gave his only son. Amen. For us. So if you're listening, are you still on? Oh, yeah. yeah. If you're listening and, and you got blessed by this message and you want to ask the Lord into your heart, by all means, contact our pastor or any one of us if you know us in the church, and we'd be glad to pray with you. And we're going to sing, Create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord. Oh! 